All right, so let's move on to sleep. Okay, I, I, so this is a huge subject. I know you're a, you've done a lot of research on this and you're a mm -hmm. massive advocate for regulating sleep for lifters. So why, why is it so important? Well, I put on on one of the highest hierarchy. So, if in a form of in the form of recovery, so we've got training. We have training and recovery. So those are really the two major yep. variables. If we break them up into a little bit more, we can have training put under a category of stress. So you know, like training and stress, and then we can look at um, kind of like recovery nutrition. Recovery it can be broken into probably mm. major two parts, which the two most essential parts for recovery. I would say nutrition and sleep. So we've got training, stress, nutrition, sleep. I, if you put that in a, um, I got a little Venn diagram of it, put in basically saying that this is basically the Bible of, of optimal performance. Mm, okay. With one of these variables breaking down, then essentially everything falls apart or a lot of things fall apart or becomes very ineffective. Yep. So if training, training qualities, shit, obviously you won't make adaptations. Yep. If stress levels are too high and unmanaged, it will impact people's recovery um, and their ability to train, to train optimally, nutrition, shit. Uh, same thing, low, low energy levels to maximize your work capacity yep. um, and recovery between training sessions. And I would put sleep as something is very high. That, right, that's interesting because generally in the lifting world and in the fitness world in general, mm. Nutrition almost comes for most people in terms of what they focus on and the interest is nutrition almost comes above training. If if you train again, depends on the always depends on the goal. Yeah, of course. Performance based sports, I would put you put training a bit higher uh, as as the highest um, in the world of metabolic stress, like we talked about mm. in terms of trying to generate muscular hypertrophy and trying to change the way we look. Yes, nutrition is quite, is it will put higher training, but where sleep scales, I still think it's higher because from what I've seen, observed, um, the, you can have, you can have someone on a very low calorie diet and still progress very well in strength training if the variable of sleep is good. That's interesting. If okay. the sleep isn't good, the deficit, the, the, the calorie deficit will impact a lot more, a lot more. So it just shows the effect that that has on recovery. The lack of nutrition obviously impedes the amount of recovery we have, mm. but sleep alone, getting enough sleep can keep performance up. And you can also use it to enhance performance. So in areas, and a lot of people don't have the ability to do, to take naps and things like that. Yeah. But even in a high stress situation, because now we're looking at managing stress, nutrition, we're in caloric deficit, and we're trying to train for strength, then sometimes the eight, nine hour sleep it, um, might not be enough, depending on the level of how much we're training and how much we're mm, okay. nu nutrition. Now, obviously, it's a lot of the times when it comes to training adaptations, it's I always look for modules to increase recovery and so that we are able to keep up with the training load we're trying to, the targeted training load. Yep. Essentially, the training load does come down if areas of recovery isn't improving. And a lot of the times, if we are dieting at the same time, then, then sleep is the major variable. But I have seen it to a point where sleep, will it make individuals have to deload in their training 
every three to four weeks. And that's very ineffective. Yeah. Um, that much deload essentially cuts away, you know, 25, 30% of the year of your training where you're not in the ideal stimulus. And this goes back to something you've spoken about before where you're viewing it from the, the long-term spectrum. So yes, one in four weeks might, might sound like not much within a four-week cycle, right? Mm-hmm. But you're thinking in terms of a year, two years, because as you've discussed before, most people you work with, they've got five-year goals. Mm-hmm. Like that, they're looking longer term than that. And when you actually weigh it up across the spectrum, that's, that's a huge amount of time, isn't it? Huge. Yeah, yeah. It, it, does, it does make it really, it does make it hard for individuals like that to manage, to manage training capacity. Mm. Yeah, it, it makes it very difficult to, people who can't, cannot get sleep to increase the work on training capacity. So we get stuck on, we do really get, for the people, individuals like that, we do get stuck on maintenance loads. And when we do try to push in areas where we try to increase that, um, generally get a very quick turnaround in, in signs of recovery reducing. Mm. Um, now, being able to distinguish the difference between what, what is good fatigue and what is fatigue due to lack of recovery is also another skill to have. Yeah. But in the end, sleep is, sleep is huge. But it has, there's been plenty of research, plenty of research on sleep. So um, one of the, I'm going to try and find it now. There was a study done on NBA players' performance. Yep. Looking at um, eight or more hours of sleep versus less than eight hours of sleep. So there was a 12% increase in minutes played, 29% increase in points per minute, 2% increase in three-point percentage, uh, a 9% increase in free throw percentage, a 37 decrease in turnovers and a 45% decrease in fouls. So I know a lot of um, I know a lot of the big team sports teams mm-hmm. integrate sleep into their daily training. I know a lot of um, we'll call it soccer because we're in Australia, but a lot of the soccer clubs. I know, for instance, um, Real Madrid they have sleep pods in the training ground, and sleep is a administered part of their training so they obviously do two a day two sessions a day morning and afternoon right in the middle they're sleeping for an hour it's like it's actually given to them i I wonder whether do do you think the the difference there is especially when you're talking about um basketball do you think it's the the it affects the skill sports because of mental clarity and motivation and things like that or do you think cognition levels uh, it, it impairs cognitive function you and know, that's huge to, in powerlifting, right? Huge. Com- yeah, yeah, that's our that's our ability to um, that's our that's skill acquisition, our ability mm. to maintain and progress in skill. So you can use you can use our people's ability to maintain technique uh, as a, as a marker of fatigue. We know they will start to get into a level of um, chronic chronic fatigue as soon as technique starts to diminish. Yeah, okay. So. You know, there's a difference between obviously acute signs and chronic signs of fatigue. So when we're looking at acute signs of fatigue, that that that's fine. They're recoverable within you know, within a micro cycle of training. Yeah. So we can assess if these acute signs of fatigue turn to chronic signs of fatigue, and then we can start to assess recovery. Um, again, different modules of recovery, but the first one always becomes down to to sleep first. Even as some of the most advanced advanced athletes, we're always it's still focusing on sleep and. 
um, not just the basics of trying to get to sleep, get enough sleep, but how to maximize sleep performance. Right. Well. So the, this is this is another subject that's that's barely touched on. So that not all sleep is equal, right? There's different phases to it, and um, mm-hmm. there's different qualities of sleep. Some people sleep better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, a more interesting question, I guess, is how do you even understand how somebody sleeps if you're dealing with an athlete? Uh, there's a few but a few questions you can you can ask there is a sleep little sleep test that i do i'm trying to remember the name of it but essentially it's a form the epworth sleepiness scale okay that's one of the first tests i put people through and basically you score different things so actually we might even might even do it even for listeners uh and try and scale scale yourself between zero and three so It'll be uh, sitting and reading. Okay. What would yours be? What? My... Your, I guess, um, how likely are you to doze off and fall asleep um, in the following situation? <laughs> three being most. So three being high chance, zero being no chance. <laughs> so sitting and reading. <laughs> three. Watching television. Ooh. Two. Sitting and active in public space. Oh, one. Lying down to rest in the afternoon while, um, when circumstances permit. One. Sitting and talking to someone. After oh, one, yeah. Sitting quietly after a lunch without alcohol. Two. A passenger in the car for an hour without a break. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, two. In a car while stopped for a few minutes in traffic. Ah, oh, one. You gotta try and remember what the, uh... <laughs> the, the reading the book one. It's like I literally, as soon as I open a book, I read two pages and I'm out, done. I think if you scored, yeah. So normal individuals will sit around a six. Um, then anything above six is then obviously level of issues we've got to deal with now. Yeah. The the study the, the that test I normally do in terms of determine. Not just the quality of sleep, but also sleep obstruction. Mm, okay. So you'll start to develop a lot of these signs a lot if you have form uh, if you have if you have sleep apnea. Yeah. And when it comes to athletes, one of the first one of the, one of the things I look for is if they have sleep apnea. You can essentially the more muscle you build, the more likelihood that you're going to have it. Yeah. The size of size of your neck, the weight you have um, around your chest, um, mm. all can start to create obstruction and um, decrease sleep quality. Okay. So that's more, that's more on, I would say level two level. Um, I would ask some of these questions straight away and then look if they have sleep apnea straight away. I'll send them off to go get a sleep study um, and look at interventions for um, minimizing sleep obstruction. If they don't have sleep apnea, they may direct signs of sleep apnea. They may have mild, um, but, the first thing I'm, but I wouldn't address sleep apnea. I would address sleep hygiene. So, mm. a few signs. First sign, first signs to look at, or three main questions I ask is, how long do they sleep? So, you know, six, seven, eight, nine hours. We're looking for the, you know, seven minimum, eight ideal, nine perfect. Yeah. Then, how well do they stay asleep throughout the night? That'll be the next one. So if they're waking up often, could that be due to obstruction? Could that be due to um, stress, which mm-hmm. is a big one? Yeah. Um, 
And sometimes it can be environment in the area. So we can control the environment to improve sleep performance. So I put sleep hygiene and sleep performance in two different categories. Okay. So then the last question would ask is, is how refreshed do they wake up? So within half an hour, are you ready? Is the, are you ready to go for the day? Mm. Like a hundred percent ready to go for the day? Or do you need stims? Or do you take all day to get to get to that to that point? Yeah. So so, so this this is really interesting um, because when you were talking about um, the mild sleep apnea caused by other factors, it doesn't have to be. Um, I have lots of issues with my immune system. Um, and what's interesting, I recently started working with a nutritionist, who, Haley, who you're also working with. Um, when I modified my diet and reduced my overall inflammation and Im- improving my gut health, all that kind of stuff, um, I sleep t- 10 times better. Um, and I realized it's because I was always, to a degree, congested or inflamed, and that blocked my airway to some degree i always used to be quite a we all know them like people who heavy mouth breathe when their sins are on the back and it's not quite it's not quite snoring it's like really 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 heavy pronounced breathing i used to be that person i also used to if i was on my back too long i used to develop like asthma like symptoms i used to have inhaler by my bed Mm -hmm. um and i turned my diet around and that yeah there's no problem that made a massive difference so you can you can develop things that's called polyps in the nose mm. and most of the time they're actually due to food allergies or inflammation in yep. the body so they get bigger um due to infl- with inflammation so yes it makes sense that mm. doing that will reduce it but you can also surgically remove remove yep. polyps as well from yep. the nose and that can be one of the first things you um not many doctors look into it but no. it, it, it's 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 a very simple way to massively improve your sleep performance yeah um, yes, nutri- nutrition. If it is causing, if it is causing inflammation, um, but yes, the the polyps themselves can be can be removed. But then, um, so we've looked at what have you looked at so far? So, um, yep, those are the so those are the main questions. We then we'll address address sleep sleep hygiene. So, a couple of things with sleep hygiene. Let me bring up my. And this, this is a really interesting thing to talk about because I think if you ask the average person, most people do not have a routine pre-sleep. They, if you ask them, what are the parameters that you sleep within? Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be able to tell you. It's just, they just kind of crash out in bed whenever they're tired, right? Or just, mm-hmm. So th- this is an interesting subject to talk about, I think. Well, I, keep it, I keep it simple to start with. Yep. So the first thing is establishing a regular routine time of going to bed. And waking up seems small, but mm. you know, doing that is going to is going to establish a circadian rhythm. If we keep changing the time we wake up, this is a, if we try to sleep in, it's never a good, never as good a sleep as it is if you try to wake up the same time every time. After us, in our sleep cycle, the first the first thing hormonally that that changes is cortisol levels. Yeah, cortisol levels picks up to to wake us up, and if, our, if we have established a circadian rhythm, no matter what, after a certain period of time, if we always wake up, mine's always like 6.30. You know, I never, my alarms are set for seven. I never make it to my alarm. Yeah, mine's 5 a.m. <laughs> I'm the same, yeah. So I never, I never make it, I never make it to my alarm. 
um, because my body is already going to start to produce cortisol to start mm. to wake me up. Managing cortisol and melatonin are two things we look at hormonally to try and improve sleep quality. We want cortisol to elevate in the morning and we want to rest and recover in the evening so and wind down so that we can go to sleep. And, and uh, th there's a million ways we can go with this, but um, just, just a quick comment on the cortisol. Anybody who, and I know this because I've had mental health issues in the past, mm -hmm. anybody who wakes up at 2, 2, 3 a.m., um, wide awake with things racing through their minds, that's, that's usually a sign of anxiety disorder or something because your, your cortisol levels are jacked right up. Mm -hmm. um, I had that for and a while. And some of the best things you can do is establish a routine of around that. Yeah. And if people do have that anxiety, so they do have anxiety with general approach to managing your anxiety should always be taken in terms of seeing, seeing therapy. Of course. Yeah. But sleep, lack of sleep will impede on uh, neurotransmitters in the brain, the recovery of neurotransmitters mm -hmm. in the brain. So your GABA level, serotonin, dopamine, they all get affected. Um, with lack of sleep. So not only poor sleep, it becomes a cyclical cycle is that anxiety is keeping you awake, but then that's also what's also causing the issue to get worse, mm. causing the anxiety to get worse. Yeah, it's cyclical. Yeah. Um, because we're not restoring our neurotransmitters in the brain, which only sleep does. Because being awake, you can call as a form of mild sleep damage um, mm, when you're okay. awake. We only recover when we sleep. The brain only recovers while it sleeps. The longer you stay awake, the more essentially brain damage you are causing. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a. I've never heard it described that way before. But that's that's yeah, yeah really uh, interesting way of putting it. I can't it. remember his name. Listen, do, um, it's a book. A book I read. He's one of the world leading sleep experts, mm. and he calls it mild, He calls being awake mild brain damage. <laughs> wow. Um, it's true though. Yeah. So so, going back to what you were saying about. Um, managing cortisol and melatonin levels yeah so a simple approach to start to address um people's sleep performance is looking at both ends of the spectrum is how we mm. what, what what's cortisol doing so that is establishing a sleep routine to ensure that our cortisol levels spike at the same time every time okay if you're having issues spiking cortisol and you're not waking up then i suggest doing things that spike cortisol meaning like go for a walk you know yep. get it get out get out in the sun get um uh, maybe get a small amount of exercise in um, even caffeine you should have most of your, you should have that in the morning and not in the afternoon right so so what you're saying is it, it, if you if you're say we're, we're readjusting your clock to let's just go with a random time 7 a.m if you're going to put 7 a.m and you feel like absolute shit and absolutely exhausted you should get up and immediately do something that spikes cortisol because then the idea is over time, your body will spike it at that time itself. Yes, it yep. should. Right, okay. If we also get the second half of it right too, which is uh, the sleep, your sleep hygiene to start to, start to increase mm. melatonin. So it is natural for us to start to feel more fatigued in the afternoon and, yep. and evening. And we have to, essentially, the problem that we have is that we'll continuously spike our energy levels with caffeine or whatever we need yeah. to do to keep the energy levels high. We should try to focus on allowing our body to go into this into the state of 
of you know starting to get tired in the afternoon it's natural for us to do so mm. um, learn to do other things with your day that don't require you to to have extreme hyper focus so i do most like for me example i do all my i do all my programs and computer work and things that require mm. me to be steadily in one spot to focus on one one task all in the morning mm. yeah then i do m- more of my entertaining projects so generally that's a little bit more stimulating yep. more entertaining more fun to do I do all that in the afternoon or go train, you know, because training generally wakes me back up. Um, I, 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 generally, I know my circadian rhythm pretty well. So, you know, I'll go just before I start to crash um, for the afternoon. And that keeps me going through to the afternoon. Yeah. Evening, I'm buggered. Also, it means you get the work, the, the work you don't want to do, but you have to do. You get that, you, get, you actually get that done instead of leaving it till the afternoon and then just there's a chance you'll bin it off. Mm. Is there a problem with, because... Because of the way my life is, because I've got a baby, um, I'm having to train later and later at night. So, is there an issue? Obviously, I'm just a technically a hobbyist lifter, but for our kind of people who are elite performers, who are or, or are hoping to be elite performers, how f- is there a problem with spiking that cortisol, getting that training hit? too late before sleep yes training can impede sleep yep okay uh, so cortisol levels should be decreasing over the day and through to the evening mm. um, otherwise we will have trouble sleeping this is why we essentially have to try and wind down the mind yes so that we wind down cortisol mm. and so things like training too close too close so within i would say three four hours you don't want to train within three four hours okay, of it. Yeah. i would say for that's like the latest yeah then looking at things that wind you down near the end of that so the first some of the first things i'll look at generally i'll do things that aren't too heavily impeding on their, their current lifestyle mm. so first off establish routine then put aside one hour of wind down time just before sleep yep. so if you're going to go to sleep at 10 30 so at 9 30 uh couple of things to get people to do is switch off switch off lights switch off tv yep devices um, yep put devices away if you're going to you still use them i would suggest blue light blockers yep um, which are just glasses you can use uh, i'll put that a bit higher on the spectrum in terms of trying to increase performance but i generally wouldn't suggest that i would just first suggest the one hour of time of reducing mm. the light in the home um, and the light you do use you should use warm lights so yep. have different lights in the home that can change change color or uh, use candlelight. I personally use can. I actually personally use candlelight in my room. Um, yeah, it, it, there's there's a reason that candlelight feels nice, and mm. it, it gives you a, your body's preconditioned to that color of light. It's the same um, if you use a tungsten light as well. Mm. That's good as well. It gives you that really warm orange kind of light, rather than a lot of people use the like the the clear, clean blue LEDs. Um, coming from a filmmaking world, I can actually talk to this. So that in terms of the light spectrum, daylight is actually a colder light. So daylight is closer to blue. Mm-hmm. And what happens is as the overall light in the world transitions to a sunset later in the day, the light becomes warmer and warmer and warmer and warmer. So in filmmaking, we use color to stimulate emotion. Um, but one of them being that Cold blue lights makes you feel um, energetic, on edge, something's going to happen, uncomfortable. And warm blue lights make you feel relaxed. Mm-hmm. So you'll find, I'm not going to go 
going to go off on a big tangent, but if you, if you watch movies and there's a kind of there's a reason they tend to shoot like romantic scenes at sunsets and stuff like that mm-hmm. because it gives you that emotional attachment. So you can do that in your home as well. You want you want warm, low light as much as possible. Mm-hmm. The bright white blue lights that are kind of all the rage at the moment, that simulates daylight and your body won't be able to tell the difference. It it will think daylight when it sees those lights, I guess. So Exactly. It's one of the reasons we would use blue light blockers as a way to enhance mm-hmm. yep. enhance that. Uh, enhance our sleep performance to reduce to filter out the blue yep so the next part would be have a have a hot shower okay have a have a hot shower hot bath um to basically warm you up which signals the body to reduce its core body temperature okay now when your core body temperature starts to starts to lower it doesn't have to lower very much once it starts to lower you it's a signal for your body to to produce melatonin mm. this is an evolutionary um trait is that obviously daytime's warm nighttime's cold body yeah. cools down you stop doing activity the body cools down its nose it's ready to go to sleep cool obviously that's the routine we established in um you know in primal human yep um and you, you can actually, when you understand sleep and a sleep cycle and stuff, you can actually notice this effect a lot more if you go, if you go camping or anything like that. You'll be, I, I fall asleep much, much, much earlier. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Every time I'm camping, sometimes at 6 or 7 p.m., I'm like, I have had enough. Mm. It's over, right? Um, That's the body's automatic, normal regulation. <laughs> yeah, you know, but yeah. we completely remove ourselves from, have removed ourselves from that environment. We're still mm. adapted to that environment, so we have to simulate that environment in our new environment. Yes. Okay. Um, so that helps increase that. Actually, so the sleeps actually helps increase increase that performance to get us to that point. And then having a cooler room. So I suggest aircon on in the room. Um, the research shows. A room um, about 21 at 21 degrees is where uh, body starts to produce more effective at producing melatonin. Interesting. So, so we obviously live in Queensland. Mm-hmm. It's summer right now. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to crank it. It's hard. You, you, it's hard to find a room that low. Most people would, I think, probably if they were gonna program an aircon unit, be be around the 23, 22 mark. But um, so just as a for people who don't have thermometers or whatever, it's got to be a temperature. It just needs to be cooler. Like, yeah. Um, that's just what the research shows, but just have the room cooler. Yeah. You know, to what you feel is comfortable. And I found that alone. So the one hour of wind down time, non-stimulating light. So if you're going to do something, read a book, yep. cool the room down, warm light. I've seen that improve sleep 90% of the time to near perfect sleep. Wow. If they don't have... They don't have sleep apnea. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then, yeah, you can dive. You can then dive a little bit deeper to try and develop specific programs for yep. individuals, if that doesn't tend to work. Um, a lot of the next, generally, the most big thing is yes, yeah, sleep apnea um, and anxiety is the next one up. Yeah, and, and and this I think is a whole new subject on its own. And mm-hmm. and this is an example of where you're saying in that Venn diagram they all overlap, but stress management is hugely underrated as well especially in gen pop I think in the elite level everybody knows that stress management is key mm-hmm. um, but for the everyday person who who aren't elite and aren't used to it I think stress management is completely ignored I think most people train as a form of stress management which I, I don't know 
if that's a good thing. That's I think that's a whole new subject we should probably do separately. Um, one other thing in terms of timing, I know a lot of people who eat really late. They also end load their meals. So um, without going into a complete nutrition discussion, most people eat very little in the morning, a medium amount during lunch mm-hmm. or a small amount during lunch because they're working and they're busy. And then they end load their meals. They have a massive meal in the evening. Mm-hmm. And people who are busy tend to do... that. Some people might eat at 8, 9 o'clock. I know a lot of people who eat towards the 9 o'clock time and then they want to go to sleep at 10 o'clock, right? Mm. Do you see a problem there? Yeah, generally not a good idea to have a huge amount of food Yeah. before, I'd say, within two hours of mm. going to sleep. Um, small amount is fine. Like, generally, I'll prescribe, like, like some sort of casing casing before bed yeah, or yeah. just uh, even a small snack before bed you know we don't want to have a huge amount of food before going to sleep but having some food enough so that you know hunger doesn't cause us to wake up throughout the night yeah. um, and enough protein at that period of time so that you know we don't have long periods of time without without a protein source other than that n- yeah you just shouldn't have a huge amount of food and learn to have more food if you that people struggle with that, have more food at breakfast. Yeah. If you're struggle with appetite, your appetite will change over time. And it's a nutrition discussion. So So have you found that people who are cutting sleep worse? Because that the, the, there's a whole lot of metabolic things happening when you're when you're in a calorie deficit and you're training. Mm-hmm. Do you find that and this is one of the, the things attributed to diets like the keto diet and people who intermittent fast is that they there's a suggestion that there's a higher level of cognitive function you're more kind of aware you're more on when you're in that kind of deficit or ketogenic yeah, state in, in, in low carb in a low carb setting um, we generally produce more generally produce more cortisol right yeah and cortisol converts into adrenaline Mm, so okay. adrenaline spikes a fair bit more in low carb diets so a common thing I've seen is that people are very low carb they have more energy but I would say a lot of the time that is false energy yeah. until they get back onto a normal plan and all of a sudden they crash generally that's just a response from the excessive excessive adrenaline production yeah okay um and the nervous system now finally has time to recover, so we crash. You see a lot of time just like people who have high stress, they run on adrenaline. Mm. As soon as they stop, they get sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My wife is one of those people. She 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 runs until the brakes come off, mm. stops, and then just crashes and will just sleep. And it'll take it'll take weeks for to get back. But she runs she runs at full capacity for six months. Mm pushes past the barrier the area where she should and then just has a complete and utter melt um i know a lot of people that do that in high stress environments um the holiday holidays are more of a necessity for for recovery not really an enjoyable time you Mm. know um do you do you find that um with and this is probably the last last thing i cover i reckon do you think sleep changes with training cycles so if you if you're pushing say you're pushing um an athlete to a peaking phase Mm -hmm. and they've obviously maintained a higher level of volume and stress over a period of time Mm -hmm. 
Um, do you find that they're... Do they, do they have that crashing... I, I tend to find more acute signs of um, acute effects from it. Right. So yeah. generally, like if we have a very high, a very very high stressful uh, training day, single mm. training day that doesn't, which heavily stimulates the nervous system. Yep. I do find people have trouble sleeping. Yeah. Okay. On those days, not much we can do about it, uh, other than like have better timing with the training. You could train earlier. Yep. Um, um, better winding down, more winding down, more focus on winding down for the day. Yep. But essentially, I mean, that just comes with, that comes with sometimes training um, ridiculously heavy. But I only find yeah. it was at near that maximal, very maximal yeah. point. Um, over time, you, can, can, you should be able to condition yourself to it and things might happen less yeah. frequently, but it still, it still happens to us time to time. Yeah. So... Yeah, happens happens to me when I'm nearing maximal, very maximal effort. Yeah. So, which I mean, obviously, you're not working at that capacity for longer than ideally a week window, right? Like you're not smashing it every week. If you are, then you're obviously going to expect to struggle. Mm. So, okay, sleep is critical. So, what we're aiming for is ideally, definitely more than seven, eight hours. Of, of quality, of quality sleep. sleep, and a good indicator of that is there's the sleep test you just gave me. But another one is: Are you feeling rested when you awake? I think I think most people would say no. Actually, I think most people wake up stressed. Or actually, it's super important. This is interesting. I just remembered: uh, sleep is super important for um, skill acquisition. So. That, so, so that was the point you just reminded me. So what I find is when I'm lacking in sleep, which is happening a lot recently, that my my technique goes to shit really quickly. My training motivation takes a massive dive, which, as we've discussed before, really, really, really affects your lifting, your, your training intent, your motivation, how you go into a session, mm-hmm. um, makes a big difference. I've noticed an acute... Like it's literally night and day. Good night's sleep, and I'm I'm on in training, and there's great effects. But if I have a bad night's sleep, I struggle to even get to a point where I'm training because you're just like, oh my god, I can't, you know, because it's you're just trying to get yourself out of the drudge to get into mm-hmm. it. But then I find that my my technique is awful. Like mm-hmm. I really, it's hard to focus, you know. So that's the effect you might have in training, but then also your body's ability to learn technique only happens at sleep during sleep ah that's interesting so if you go do some sort of do some sort of training um so they've done the research i can't remember exactly how the research research went but essentially how it went is that whatever skill we're learning whether it's shooting a basketball or hitting a golf ball whatever it is the the pattern that the neurons fire um are replicated in sleep so if you were to measure it during the exercise and then at sleep measure the brain signals um, and those neural pathways, they have the exact same level of, they have the same patterns of firing mm. and usually 20 times faster. So it's wow. like, it's yeah. like your brain is learning that pathway. So you've, you've established the pathways, neurological pathways for a certain 
uh, motor pathway or a movement you're doing, yep. um, which is what it is. So movement is, a, is signals from the brain to the muscles to contract in a various pattern. And the more frequent we do that pattern, the more efficient we become to do that unconsciously rather than consciously. Um, and then the longer we do that, the stronger that gets. And so that's how one way we get, one of the systems we use to get very strong. Now, when sleep is what reinforces that and allows us to actually uh, develop develop the pathways for that to be, I would say, kind of mm. set those pathways. So the brain will send that signal through the brain while we sleep, you know, 20 times faster throughout our entire sleep. And that is when the brain learns that skill. So then the next, the next day, we'll have an improvement on that skill. So you might see, you might do the exercise and have do the exercise and don't find too much improvement, but then once your sleep come back, you've improved it. This is one how one reason how we like might might solve problems. You know, we're stuck trying to solve a problem. Got to sleep, sleep on it. Wake right. Up. So right. Okay. This this is fascinating. So so what what was what we're suggesting here is that the training portion is is the stimulus, right? It's mm-hmm. the stimulus part, but the gains are made during your sleep. Yes. And then you fuel that gain mm-hmm. so the nutrition's fuel throughout the day so you have to be well fueled yeah. and you have to provide the right stimulus but the, the actual gains and the, the actual adaptation is made during your sleep mm-hmm. you can look at in terms of gains too yeah. from a different, another perspective is um, hormone profile so yeah. human growth hormone and testosterone um, are both um, elevated during sleep and will decrease testosterone levels will decrease with a lack of sleep. So it is the king, obviously testosterone is the king hormone yeah. of yeah. building muscle yeah. and building muscle and strength. So without that, it, our hormone profile will suffer as well without proper sleep. Wow. You're a mess if you don't sleep, you'll die fast. <laughs> yeah. well, that's the other thing. Like I did I did see a study, there's, oh, there's a sleep specialist and I can't remember his name. He, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast. He's actually got a... Matt Walker. Matt Walker. Yeah, yeah. And he was talking about the average life expectancy of people who have, I think it's sub seven hours plus, and it's in some cases five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's insane. I mean, mainly because they've got a higher chance of cardiac conditions and, and mm-hmm. things like that. But, but, but across the board, it is at least five years younger mm-hmm. that, that they die. Incredible. Um, um, speeding up, it, 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 there seems to be some things to support that it speeds up autism and dementia because it causes the pro, some of the protein breakdown in the brain to... Right. I don't remember the exact science, so I could just be talking some, <laughs> yeah, some, yeah. some gibberish yeah. here, but there's essentially amino acids that um, generally cause apparently some sort of substance on the brain to start to slow its cognitive right. function, and then over time that can get, get worse and cause some of these dementia-like symptoms. Wow, that was unreal. Okay, I've learned so much. Okay, all right, cool, amazing. <laughs>